Buddhist geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 93, The Meditative Maps, Happy Mornings and Dark Nights. Philosopher and longtime Buddhist practitioner Ken Wilbur shares with us a thousand foot view of the terrain of meditative experience. He shares several of the most common Buddhist maps and discusses the important transitions between levels of being called the Dark Nights. This is part one of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks listeners. We're back with another episode. And uh, as you've been finding out, we've been live streaming quite a bit lately. And uh, we live streamed a couple of talks this last weekend and a couple interviews with Ringo Tukul Rinpoche and Jeffrey Hopkins. And today we're doing the same thing, except it's only me in the studio. Vince is out in Seattle. And we also have a special guest on the air today. So I'll let Vince introduce him. Yeah, today we're very, very fortunate to have one of my favorite philosophers, Mr. Ken Wilbur, here with us. He's uh, written just, uh, I don't know, at this point, it's probably up in like the 30 to 40 range, I'm guessing. Is that right, Ken? Uh, Mid-20s. Mid-20s. And I know you have several books that are kind of getting ready to come out. Right. So Ken is a prolific writer, a brilliant thinker, also a very deep spiritual practitioner, and uh, has a long history as a practitioner both in the Zen tradition and the Tibetan tradition of Buddhism. So he's coming from a philosophical perspective, a deep thinking perspective, and also a deep practice perspective. So we really wanted to use our time with him to explore some of the cutting edge ideas that he's sharing in his written work and kind of find out what his take is on spiritual development in the Buddhist tradition. So Ken, thanks so much again for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Um, So one of your most recent books, Integral Spirituality, you write about what you call meditative cartographies, which is, is a nice way of saying the maps of the spiritual territory. Sure. And I was, and I was wondering if you could uh, maybe share a little bit of what are some of the important meditative maps or cartographies that we find in the Buddhist tradition, and what exactly are they describing? What are they maps of? Uh, right. Well, let me give you, I can mention three maps, just give you briefly some of what they're talking about, what they are describing. And let me say first that there's basically a Buddhist cartography of consciousness, a map of consciousness, what consciousness looks like. And this is one of the more common and best known and most widely used is the eight or nine Vijnanas of Mahayana and Vajrayana Buddhism. And these are eight or nine levels of consciousness, and they go from the smallest, most constricted levels of awareness to the broadest, widest, most one with Buddha mind levels of awareness. And they start with the five Vijnanas or the five senses. And then the sixth is the mono Vijnana, which is the concrete mind. And then the seventh is the manas, which is sort of an existential mind in a sense of the soul. Buddhism doesn't believe in a substantial soul, but the manas is the source of the illusion of a separate self-sense. And then moving into transpersonal levels is the alaya vijnana, 
which is in its tainted form, meaning it's corrupted with dualistic forms. And then finally, there's the pure alaya, or pure chitta, or pure non-dual mind. And so it's these levels of consciousness. And in meditation, what's happening is the self-sense is moving through those levels. And as that happens, you then get levels of that meditation, levels of that progress. And so you see these described differently in the different specific practices that Theravadan and Mahayana and Vajrayana Buddhism have. So in the Theravadan tradition, these stages of meditation are described in the Vasudhamaga put together by Buddha Gosha, and those move through foundation practices into concentration with support, concentration without support, and then insight stages, and then nirod or cessation, pure nirvana, pure dissolution of the phenomenal universe. And in Mahayana Buddhism, probably one of the best known is the Pan Zen Oxfording pictures of Zen, and that starts out with preliminary practices. And these ten are depicted as ten drawings, ten Zen artistic renderings that are symbolic of these stages. And the early stages start out with preliminary practices and spotting the ox, the ox representing uh, true mind, and then riding the ox, and then by the eighth circle, it's completely empty. And that means that the ox, the mind, and the separate self have disappeared as any substantial entities. There's just nothing but pure, open, transparent, unqualifiable awareness as such. And then into the tenth picture, which just depicts the practitioner walking into the marketplace, and the caption just says entering the marketplace with open hands. And that means pure non-dual awareness, the return of the practitioner from these meditative realms into pure everyday ordinary awareness. The ordinary mind, just that, is the Tao. And so those are some of the better-known stages of Zen. In Tantra, some of the most widely used are the group known as the Anuttara Tantra, and it's also similar to what's known as Mother Tantra. And these go through, these experience those levels of consciousness based on particularly tantric practices, which means practices that are going to use visualization and manipulation of the bio-currents, the bioenergetic currents in the human body. And so these start out and go through examining the five skandhas and the 80 gross mental conceptions. And as those are investigated and made into an object, then in awareness there appears a white appearance followed by a red increase. And then as those are investigated, there appears something called black near attainment. This is very similar to the eighth circle in Zen, the empty circle, uh, black near attainment is pure, unmanifest absorption and is the stage very close to pushing through to the final stage, which is enlightened awakening, which is the final major stage in the Anuttara. And so what we're seeing in all of these stages of meditation is, as I said earlier, is just the way that 
the individual consciousness experiences these levels of awareness, the levels of consciousness that are available to sentient beings. And so as a meditator takes up spiritual practice, he or she is actually moving through those fundamental levels of being, fundamental levels of existence and consciousness itself. And as you move through those levels, then you're generating these particular stages of meditation. And these maps are important because they help us orient in our quest for enlightenment, in our quest for the ever-present nature of true mind, the mind that's already liberated, the consciousness that's already free, and the steps and stages that we need to take in order for that ever-present realization to flash forth in one's own awareness. And these maps are quite similar to contemplative maps from around the world and reflecting, in my opinion, the universal nature of these levels of consciousness, these levels of reality. And, of course, they show up differently from culture to culture in terms of their surface structures, but their deep structures are essentially quite common and mm. quite similar. And the experiences of moving through these levels of consciousness are also essentially similar although the surface structure forms are going to have the experiences differ from culture to culture and from tradition to tradition within a culture, and even to some degree from a practitioner to practitioner within a particular discipline. But one of the important things that we have been doing in those of us who have been studying an integration of Eastern and Western approaches to psychology and consciousness and awareness is to take all of the various maps that the different traditions offer us, put them all on the table, mm -hmm. and then from that construct a comprehensive map, a map that is basically full and holistic and genuinely complete, and using that map as our orientation for what a full and fully developed human being would be like. That would involve, of course, taking up contemplative practices. And there's no tradition that has a more abundant or detailed supply of contemplative practices than the Buddhist tradition. Right. Although, again, all of the world's great wisdom traditions have really profound paths of practice and paths of the great liberation. And these are very different than exoteric religion, which is learning dogmatic, mythic stories and narratives and believing in these stories, whereas the esoteric, contemplative forms of religion are technologies of awakening. They're mm. psychotechnologies of actually changing your consciousness to find it essentially one with the ground of all being, and that awakening is the fundamental goal of the great paths of liberation, whereas for the exoteric paths, the goal is more sort of a mythic, everlasting life for the self-contraction, which is not mm. what Buddhism is aiming for. Right.
Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, and you said they're psycho uh, technologies. And one of the things I've noticed, uh, especially among people that are just taking up a contemplative practice or they're thinking about it, is that they get pretty excited about the prospect of liberation. But but like you're saying, there's some sequence, and in the sequence, it both takes some time, and there are also periods in which it's not so pleasant, actually. And I was wondering if you could say a little bit about these kind of major transitions where literally because you're moving into a new baseline of experience that the old, you have to kind of die to the old baseline. I was wondering if you could, and they're traditionally, you know, St. John of the Cross calls them the dark nights and you've written a lot about this. And I was wondering if you could mention or speak a little bit about the dark nights. Yes. What the traditions are dealing with in terms of states of consciousness that are available and these states are a kind of an alternative way to talk about levels of consciousness. They're two slightly different things. In Vedanta, for example, the levels are called sheaths or koshas. And there are five main koshas surrounding unqualifiable consciousness as such. The chakras are another version of the levels or structures or sheaths that surround pure, unqualified Buddha nature or Atman Brahman. But uh, another and even more common way and map that is used to describe the territory of reality is to divide it into states of consciousness. And states are different from structures in that states tend to be temporary, spontaneous, they arise on their own, whereas structures are developmental. Structures occur in a very specific developmental sequence. But states of consciousness are random and spontaneous unless they're trained. And when they're trained, then they appear as those meditative stages that I described. But what they're looking at, the traditions give essentially four or five major states of awareness. And these are natural states that every sentient being has. And they are waking, dreaming, deep sleep, witnessing, and non-dual. And these five major states are available to, again, every individual. But individuals start out essentially identified. Their egoic self starts out identified with a waking, gross realm. And that waking gross realm means the realm of everyday objects that you see in the waking state. And what happens in meditation is that whether you're looking at these states of consciousness or whether you're looking at the structures of consciousness, the sheaths of consciousness, is that the separate self starts out identified at the lowest level. Mm -hmm. Starts out identified with chakra one or starts out identified with the lowest sheath, which is the sheath made of food or matter, or it starts out with the lowest state of consciousness, the waking state and the realm of gross material objects that the waking state discloses. And what happens with growth, and particularly with meditation, is that the identity, the separate self-identity, successively moves through these states from lower states to higher states until it finds the supreme identity with the ultimate unqualifiable radical state of enlightenment. And so if you're looking at these four or five major states of consciousness, 
then you are going to experience both a death and rebirth as you go through the particular meditative state. So we start out identified with the gross waking realm, and then you start meditation, then what's going to happen is looking at your mind, you're going to experience sort of gross objects, gross sensations, typical everyday thoughts and images and ideas will go cascading through the mind wildly, and this is a typical monkey mind state, and this is the typical state that the average individual is identified with. And it's a state run by hope and fear, and it's built through the five skandhas and driven by confusion and essentially ignorance, the unenlightened state. As you meditate, you start to make all of this an object. You start to make this state of consciousness, which you have subjectively identified with, you start to make it an object of awareness. Mm. And as you do that, there's a good news and bad news about that. One is that you then awaken to the next higher state, in this case, the subtle state, the dream state, and your identity shifts from the narrower, gross state of consciousness to the deeper and wider, subtle state of consciousness, switches from the Nirmanakaya to the Sambhogakaya. And when that happens, there's a sense of opening, a sense of release, a sense of awakening to um, mm -hmm. deeper, more profound realities represented by the subtle realm. Mm -hmm. But there's also a period of going through having to break your identification with the gross waking state. And that means all your typical loves and desires, hatreds and fears that you have in your normal waking gross state. And those have to be let go of. And it's a very painful process of constantly being aware of them, constantly letting go of them, constantly making room for a wider and deeper state of awareness, which in this case is the subtle state. And then the same thing happens once you've essentially been meditating for a while and your identity is available to both growth and subtle states, you'll start to move in towards the causal state. The causal state is the moving into the deep, formless state, the state that everybody experiences unconsciously each night in the deep, formless dream state, but which will become a conscious experience mm -hmm. in meditation as your identity shifts from subtle state of awareness into the causal or unmanifest state, the eighth Zen ox-herding picture, the picture of just an empty circle, vast, open, unqualifiable, infinite awareness as such. So in each of those cases, there's a death and a rebirth. And the rebirth is experienced with a great deal of generally joy and release and a sense of freedom, sometimes a sense of blissfulness and openness and clarity. But there's then the dark night that's involved, and that's the state that's involved in two senses. One is when you first experience a higher state and then lose it, you feel a great sense of sort of depression and backsliding and loss of having seen 
paradise and then lost it, and that's usually mm-hmm. the way St. John on the Cross uses the term, for example. And then there's the other one that we were talking about as well, which is letting go of the lower states uh, permanently, having the self-contraction uncoil, be, see through the separate self-sense, have the separate self-sense dissolve and dissolve its identifications with some of these lower states. And that can be very painful because they're essentially addiction. Mm-hmm. They're attachments. They're grasping. So not only are you sort of getting a taste of higher states, you're having to break your attachments, your grasping to these lower states and to all of the drives and desires and thirsts and lusts and so on. And breaking those addictions is a very hard, difficult process. But it's precisely in doing that that one's own wider and deeper states of identity become apparent. And finally, moving through the causal, the unmanifest formless state, there's an awakening as the non-dual state, which is where the separate self-sense dissolves entirely. And there is simply the pure, radical, open, unqualifiable consciousness as such, which is one's own Buddha mind, one's own Buddha nature, one's own awareness in this moment, the witnessing state in this moment, but the witnessing state that's one with everything that's witnessed so that one doesn't perceive a mountain, one is a mountain. It's the direct phenomenological sensation is a sense of oneness with everything that's arising moment to moment. So the meditative journey is marked by a series of letting go of these lower identifications, finding higher identifications, and suffering both the slings and arrows of letting go of these lower addictions, which can be very painful and experienced as dark nights, and then finding the higher, wider, deeper state into which one is being reborn or into which one is discovering the already enlightened, already realized state. So it's very much kind of a sort of like the stock market. It's sort of up and down and up and down and up and down. And every now and then you hit real down periods. Right. Um, like we are now. <laughs> which we seem to be going through one of those now. But because these states of consciousness are there, because they're real, because there have been millions of people that have tread the path to enlightenment, then simply staying with the practice, staying with one's awareness training, can indeed move one into these ultimate, unborn, ever-present, enlightened states of awareness. And that is the ultimate good news. That's the ultimate mm-hmm. rebirth. And of course, this is an, in a kind of a rigid, linear progression. It's just a generalized series of the types of experiences that one undergoes generally as one mm-hmm. continues to practice, as one continues to look within and make subject object. And as subjects become object, subjects become object, subject becomes object, until finally all subjects have been objectified, have been looked at, have been made a focus of awareness. Then there's nothing left but pure subjectivity that can never be made an object. Pure subjectivity that is the pure awareness of this moment, but it's not itself an object. It cannot itself be seen as an object 
but it's seen as everything that's arising moment to moment. And that's the ultimate state, and it's one's true state right now, if we could but realize it. And so the meditative journey is a journey of that realization, and it has happy mornings, and it has dark nights, and both of those in abundance. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.